Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. You remember that uh, if you were here that I gave you um, some kingdom things that are in your life because of what Christ has done for you. So we looked at Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and I explained that the book of Ephesians is, in a sense, divided into two. The first three chapters deal with who we are in Christ, our identity, and how God looks at us through Christ. And then the next three chapters, four to six, deal with what we should do about it. And there is a therefore between the two. When there's a therefore, it's important. Okay, so what I did was I read this list over them. As citizens of the kingdom, this is what you are, okay? Your position as a believer is that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you are chosen, that you're holy, that you're adopted, accepted, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you're redeemed, forgiven, and you have the knowledge of God's will, and you have an inheritance that is obtained already because Jesus died and rose again. So that's all guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what it says about us. Now, we're going to come to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at it in just a moment. Um, But it starts with a therefore. Okay, there are lots of therefores in Scripture. In the New Testament, there are over 200. And in Ephesians alone, there are 15. So it's very important to realize that there's a therefore. And somebody said to me, it was Michael, wasn't it, that he said, we was in Bible college, he said that what they said was, if there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. That's better than my illustration, isn't it? So I've just stolen that one. Um, the best illustrations come from other people. <laughs> but um, it's true. It means, you know, something's got to be done about it, hasn't it, where you see therefore there. So it's a good idea for a Bible study to look through Ephesians or any book of the Bible and see where the therefores appear and ask, you know, why is the therefore put there and what do I have to do as a result of that? But Ephesians chapter 4, where it starts on the practical outworking of all that, talks first and foremost about unity. That's how important unity is. Lots of other things build upon unity. If there isn't unity, other things collapse. It's a foundational principle. And I've got a reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel. Um, Two weeks ago, Deborah talked about Matthew, and she said it was the gospel of the kingdom, and it is. You know, the kingdom appears all over the Bible, but actually Matthew has a real focus on the gospel of the kingdom. So we're going to read here from Matthew 12, verses 22 to 30. Okay, Matthew 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me, is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, this is a very dramatic account, isn't it? 
you look at that there and what happened, this guy who was both blind and mute, demon-possessed as well, is completely delivered and healed by Jesus. And it causes a stir. Of course it does. You know, and the, the people say, could this be the son of David? So it upsets all the Pharisees because he's making a confession of faith. He's saying, they're saying this is probably the Messiah and they don't like that. But they make this terrible, terrible false accusation about Jesus. And they say that he cast him out by Beelzebub. Now, don't Google that. I know sometimes we miss it in the church. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Um, basically, Beelzebub was a Philistine deity. Okay. Um, back then, they realized that flies carried disease for themselves. For, they also ate the crops. They carried disease for their livestock. And so what they did in the Philistine temples and in other pagan temples was to mold golden flies. Okay. And they would put them in the temple, and then they would sacrifice to them. And they'd pray to the Lord of the flies um, to not bring a blight upon their crops, to uh, not to you know, give them disease and all that sort of thing. So it was a, the Lord of Dung was another, Lord of Filth was another name of it. It was a horrible deity uh, at that time, and they worshipped and sacrificed to it, and it was a powerful demonic force. And really, what we're saying here is, and what the... the, the um, Pharisees are doing is they're likening Jesus' work to the work of Satan. They're saying this is a demonic influence. He's cast out demons by demons. That is terrible words to say. You know, words have power, don't they? We have to be really careful about what we say. And they say these things about Jesus, and it's still there today in the Talmud, the rabbinic writings. They say there was this man called Jesus who did miracles. So they admit he did miracles, but they don't attribute it to God. They attribute it to this demonic force. Terrible thing to say. But, you know, we see in verse 28 that um, he, he says these words, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what Jesus is doing here is that he is demonstrating the kingdom. Okay, now I gave you a word a couple of weeks ago, this Hebrew word, malkuth, which means a kingly rule. Okay, and that's the understanding of the word kingdom in the New Testament to the Hebrew mindset. Okay, it wasn't a kingdom that was geographical or political, or the, like the ones we see today, governmental structures, it was the place where the king rules. Okay, So he's saying, this is where the king rules. The kingdom of God is where Jesus rules. And if he rules in our life, we see the kingdom demonstrated there as well. So Jesus is doing exactly what he said in Luke chapter 4, when he announced his ministry in the um, synagogue. He's, cast, you know, he's, he's setting people free. He's casting out demons. He's being in sight to the blind. He's declaring the acceptable year of the Lord, that declaration of the beginning of the kingdom amongst people. These are the signs of that. And then Peter also says, when he's speaking in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, about Jesus, he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So that's the demonstration of, of the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. And that's what we should be doing as well, is demonstrating the kingdom where we are. And we learn from this that we don't rely on human power. If we do, then we will fail. But we have to be in submission to the king of kings. We have to be in line with the kingdom of God to carry out kingdom things. Okay, so we're going to go back to that scripture because there's quite a lot in there. We can't look at it all this morning, but there's some important principles that I just want to pick up very, very quickly. And uh, right at the end there, it says about entering a strong man's house. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder the house? Now, in this 
context of this scripture, the strong man is Satan. It's his kingdom. Jesus is saying there are two kingdoms operating here. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. And the only way to overcome this kingdom of Satan is through someone more powerful. And no one is more powerful than the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So if we are in the kingdom, aligned with the kingdom purposes, then we can plunder and destroy the kingdom of Satan. That's what we're called to do in the kingdom. You know, we have true authority and the power of healing through being part of God's kingdom. So he's very much saying here, you know, there are two kingdoms operating here and we have to get aligned with what God is doing. Otherwise, our lives as a believer will be ineffective if we don't do that. So we have to be aligned with God's purposes. He finishes this short section here by saying, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So there are some alignment issues there. What is going on here? (laughs) Well, Jesus is demonstrating God's power, and he is saying to us, you know, you need to be in line with what's happening there. There are two kingdoms working, and Jesus has power and authority over everything because he is submitted to the Father in everything he does and everything he says. Now, there's a question because we have to consider the words of Jesus um, seriously, and he says that every kingdom divided against itself will fall. And we know in history, Christians have not always demonstrated unity, have they? Um, So is Jesus saying that the kingdom of God could fall as well? If Christians aren't unified, um, is he saying that? Because we have to ask it that the word kingdom is the same word all the way through the New Testament. So what is is he saying? Well, actually, you cannot. The kingdom of God is not going to fall. But what I would have put to you this morning is that you can divide yourself from God's kingdom's purposes by what you do and the how you live your life. That God's kingdom is going to keep growing. It's not going to fail. The king of kings will return one day. And, but you can divide yourself from his purposes by your actions and by the things that you do. And, you know, we think of ourselves sometimes as, as, as a large church, and we are. But there are so many people in this town who don't know the Lord, yeah. aren't there? Tens of thousands of people who don't yet know the Lord, have never heard the gospel. Yesterday, we was at the Airy AOG meeting, and we heard there were 32 unreached people groups in the UK. Yeah. 32 unreached people groups in the UK. That was just an amazing statistic. And, uh, you know, there is a lot that we need to do to plunder the kingdom of Satan. That's what we're called to do. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but we are. And that's what Jesus was doing. That's what we're called to do. But Jesus makes it very clear that there is a God of this age, who's, he says, who's, uh, uh, Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we have a work to do to destroy that kingdom and to bring it down. If you are a believer, you are part of the kingdom of God. You don't have a choice. There are no lone rangers or mavericks. I've said that before. But um, you are part of it. And the presence of God can destroy the works of the enemy. So let's get with it, guys. Come Come on. (laughs) We've got to be part of that. We've got to be an evidence of love and reconciliation and the power of God to change people's lives. I want to see people changed around me, don't you? And uh, as I said, we can be divided from God's kingdom purposes. So let's ask ourselves a question. How can we ensure true unity? How can we ensure? Because we all have a responsibility in this. You know, we're all different. 
God has created us differently. We all um, may not be of a like mind, but nonetheless, God is bringing things together. Now, it's easy when you're in a meeting and you've just had a few songs together and you've been singing and you feel good. Yeah, there's great unity and we're going places. But actually, it's when the rubber hits the road that is the real test. It's how we interact with each other outside of here and how we live our lives in communion with one another. You know, if you, um, if you had a teenage girl in the year, in the 2000s, in the early 2000s, we had this awful program film <laughs> that was on, right? <laughs> Sorry, if you liked it. But it had this awful song, right? And it was called, uh, We're All In This Together. And it was, oh, it, was, it was absolutely awful song. It really was, right? But it was so catchy, right? Yeah. You got it in your head. It used to go round and round in my head. Oh, Abigail, that's my daughter. She's 24 now. Turn it off. Um, <laughs> 25, sorry. Uh, but um, but uh, for years after that, right, I used to be in church. And if somebody said, we're all in this together, I thought, oh, no, it's that song. It's going round in my head again. And I'd look at other fathers with similar age. I'd say, yeah, you're thinking about that. Yeah, I'm thinking about that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Let's get rid of this anyway. Go away. Um, not for that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, true unity is not about singing a load of songs together. That's not what it's about. You know, and there are lots of songs about unity. Uh, one came to my mind earlier, you know, bind us together, Lord, bind. Remember that song? I'm not going to sing it all. Nothing wrong with that song. I'm not criticizing. But, but you know, not, just singing that song doesn't create unity. Okay? It can be a celebration of unity, but actually there's more that needs to happen to create true unity. Okay? So let's have a look. There's unicorns in. Um, <laughs> something's coming. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6. And uh, what it says there, I did mention it earlier, um, but I'll read it to you. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness, that's humility, and gentleness, with long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Okay. Now, um, the thing about wealth, right, and this is not just financial wealth, is that it's not supposed to be hoarded. It's supposed to be shared. That is a kingdom principle. And Deborah spoke a couple of weeks about, about you know, sowing and reaping and those principles. But this is another kingdom principle of wealth, is that whatever God gives to you, it's not for yourself, whether that be financial whether it be a gift of the Spirit, whether it be any other, the plethora of gifts that God and wealth and revelation of knowledge that we have, God gives, tells us about ourselves. It's not just so we, Ephesians 1 to 3 isn't so we can feel good about ourselves. It isn't just a theological statement. So we think, yeah, look at me, I'm a child of God and all this stuff. We're supposed to do something about it. We're supposed to take that and do something about it, not bury it away, okay? So um, let's have a couple of, Little sound bites about that. <laughs> so the revelation of truth in your life should be manifested to others. Okay, so revelation leads to realization. So does it become real? Does it make a difference? And illumination should lead to application. When you learn something from the scriptures, when you grow in something, you think, right, I need to apply this to my life. It needs to make a difference so others can see it happening. And here's a quote from Ruth Paxson. The more we know the truth and believe it, the greater is our responsibility to live it. Great quote there by Ruth Paxson, a great quote. And she's written a very good book on Ephesians, which is all about that. So head knowledge must become heart experience, must it? It must change us very much. And um, 
If we look again at Ephesians, Ephesians 1 to 3 tells us how God sees us in Christ in the heavenlies. And then 4 to 6 tells us how people should see Christ in us on earth. There's a, a manifestation of it, an application of it, very much so. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Well, as I said earlier, God's kingdom cannot be divided, but you can divide yourself from God's kingdom purposes as he's working things out. You know, we have to walk worthy of the calling of which we're called. The values that he gives us here, you know, is humility and long-suffering. And most of all, you know, endeavoring. It's an active word. It's trying as hard as you can. It's working to bring unity. It's not just letting it all happen. But it's actually saying, and Paul is putting this here right at the beginning of this section, before he goes on to anything else and all the practical outworkings, he said, unity is the key thing. And you have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You have to do it actively. It doesn't just happen. Now, have you ever said these words, I can't bear that person? Well, you're very quiet about that. (laughs) There may be somebody, maybe it's touching on a raw nerve. Um, maybe it is, because sometimes we do. Now, here's a little quote. To dwell above with saints we love will be such grace and glory, but to live below with the saints we know, that's a different story. Sometimes people upset us, don't they? Sometimes people wind us up. Sometimes they say things we don't like. That's what life is like. (laughs) But it is a foundational aspect, so I'm going to spend some time looking at that. Now, Paul builds his argument with what is called a participle clause. Okay, they're very common in the New Testament, a participle clause. In other words, you participate in it. (laughs) Okay, it's not not theology. Don't just listen about it and learn about it. You do something. So these are participle clauses. Bear with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. We have to do something. We have to participate in that to keep the unity of the spirit. You know, there are people in church that you are not going to like. Okay, sorry about that. They may not eat like the same food as you. They may not like your style of clothing, maybe. Maybe they don't laugh at your jokes. Maybe they're really boring. They just tell long stories. And maybe, just maybe, they might be Manchester United supporters. (laughs) There's grace for that, though. There is grace for people like that. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. I would encourage you not to go there. It is traditionally the place where Christ was buried and rose, but it's become a very religious place now. You can't really see anything that was originally there. Um, But in 2002, a Coptic monk was sitting on the roof in the July sunshine, and he thought, oh, it's getting a bit hot. So he moved his chair into the shade, and this caused a problem. In fact, he moved his chair into a part of the roof that is controlled by the Ethiopian monks. Okay, and that was a problem. He walked into a 250-year-old conflict. In 1752, the Ottoman Sultan, the Islamic Sultan, issued an edict declaring which parts of this church okay, would um, have control, would belong to each of these different Christian sects, apparently. So the Latins had a part. The Greek Orthodox Church, the Armenian Orthodox, the Syrian Orthodox, the Copts, and the Ethiopians, they all had a little bit each. And he ruled over them, and he said, right, you can have these bits. Stop arguing over it. But the rooftop had been controlled by the Ethiopians for many, many years. But the Copts 
They lost control of it when the cops were hit by a disease epidemic okay, in the 19th century. Then in 1970, the Ethiopians regained control when the Coptic monks were absent for a short period. They went on holiday, I don't know. Uh, and they've been squatting there ever since, okay, the Ethiopians. So what happens is there is always an Ethiopian monk on that part of the roof. Okay, maybe you know, they do a rotor system 24 hours a day to make sure they've got their ground because possession is nine-tenths of the law, isn't it? And they are there. But also there's always a Coptic monk there as well trying to get their piece of the action. So they never give up possession. This happens in quite a few holy sites, holy sites in Israel. So we come back to this warm Monday, July afternoon in Jerusalem and it does get warm and this guy moves into the shade and it really kicks off. There's a bundle, 11 of them end up injured, one monk gets his arm broken, one's end up in hospital unconscious, just over the argument for the roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. In fact, they can't even have the front keys, the Christians in there, supposedly. The Muslims have to, a Muslim man holds the key and he opens and shuts it because they cannot get on. They fight all the time over this property. Now, what does that look like to the Jews, who are the predominant people there, and what does it look like to the Muslims? What do they think about Christians when they see this sort of thing happening? What sort of unity? But, you know, I've got a video. We didn't have time in the first service. You've got a video in this. All right, a little bit of extra treat because God is working in Israel. Now, you know, there's an, a long argument going on between our brothers. So there's Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, we've had a bit of an argument since the days of Abraham. And, um, and it's still going on now to a certain extent. But actually, we're working on the peace plan through our ministry. We're working on the... the um, Middle East Peace Plan. And the Middle East Peace Plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, So we sponsor this conference. We get involved with our worship teams and everything. And this is the conference, as it will be explained, where you will see what God is doing in the Middle East, where the gospel is proclaimed. Okay? Thanks, Luke. Nine years ago, the Lord spoke to us to start a youth conference, and it, it just seemed kind of crazy to believe that hundreds of, of Jewish and Arab and Palestinian youth could come together, but that's exactly what is happening. so we feel it's significant in what God wants to do in Israel that uh, here at the, at the heart of this nation, God would bring together these young people to seek his face, and that's what they're doing. There's hours and hours of worship, ministry time, praying over the young people, them praying for each other, but them also getting to become friends. 
המשיח כאן בארץ זה לא רק יהודים, זה גם ערבים. ואין בנו הבדל. שתינו יש לנו את אותו מטרה, שתינו יש אותו מטרה לבנות את גוף המשיח בארץ, לקדם את מלכות אלוהים. פשוט להיות עם אחד. We thank you so much for standing with the youth of Israel through this Elaf conference. And we know that uh, the God of, of Israel, the King of Jerusalem, Yeshua, will bless you as you're blessing the sons of Abraham coming together to seek his face. Okay, thanks for that. Now, keep up. That's overcoming differences that the world finds intractable. that you go into that meeting and you see Jewish believers, Arab believers, and Palestinian loving one another and seeing the unity that only the gospel can bring. Okay? You think you have differences. Theirs is 4,000 years old. <laughs> But God can do, can do wonderful things. You know, it says in, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, if it, is possible, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then Romans 12:5, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are already one body. We cannot separate that. We cannot make a choice not to be part of that body. Um, you know, God has many children. He hasn't got one. He loves you. He died for you, but you're not the only one. <laughs> there are believers all over the world, but there are those right next to you that sometimes you may have a problem with getting on with. but God has many children. We cannot divide that at all. We cannot make a choice to be that. Now, unfortunately, Christianity in the West has made religion a private thing, hasn't it? It's sort of, you know, it's my private faith. And uh, this is my... And we do have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. There's no doubt about that. But actually, the communal aspect of our faith is just as important. The kingdom is about working together and bringing a difference through there. You know, we travel... As some of you know, quite a lot of different conferences and churches that I speak at. You know, last week it was in Scotland with a, a, a hundred or so, a bit, no, a bit less than that, from different churches. Then the week before, about three or four thousand in London. The week before that, about six thousand in Lincolnshire, from all different churches, persuasions and backgrounds. And it's lovely to meet people from the kingdom of God who have a different expression of that. Yeah. And if you go abroad, you notice that even more. And so now I encourage you, if you haven't been on any sort of mission trip, that you should think about that, just to see what the kingdom of God is doing all over the place. It's a communal thing. It's not individual. So anyway, the compulsion by Paul is for us to strive and to hurry and to endeavor to create unity. You know, when we go out of this building today, it may not be the first thing on our mind. But what are we doing during the week? to make sure that there is unity? Are we working hard to make sure there is a bond of peace between us as believers, fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm not sure that I'm always doing that. I'm not sure it's the first thing in my mind. But Paul tells us that we should do it. William Barclay says this, more than half of the trouble that arises in church concerns rights, places, privileges and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her place. Someone hasn't been thanked. Someone has been neglected. Someone has been given a more prominent place on the platform than someone else, and there's trouble. <laughs> It's all about those sort of personal things. And sometimes, you know, Satan can bring disunity between believers, but sometimes he doesn't actually have to do anything. Sometimes I think he just turns up to cause a bit of trouble, and he thinks, oh, these guys are doing a pretty good job already. 
I'm not saying that, you know, everybody who causes disunity is inspired by Satan. I don't mean that. But sometimes, you know, we're not doing that brilliant a job and he just comes in and adds it into the mix and makes it even worse as well. So we have to be aware of that. You know, when we come into the kingdom, we all have some form of baggage, you know, and that can affect other people. Some have more than others. We was on a train to Edinburgh last Saturday, last Friday, and um, Friday before last, and um, it was packed with train. Every seat was taken, loads of students going back to uni, and this, this lady got on with her son. They were from South Africa originally, and they had loads of cases, great big cases and small cases and all this stuff. And that, we saw them getting on, they got on and they put it in, and they filled the central aisle up in the train with these cases, right? And somebody said, you can't leave that there, love. And she said, she said, well, it's all right in South Africa. He said, well, it ain't all right here. You're in England now. And so, so they, we all helped. The people were getting up saying, oh, put some under here and put this up there. Everybody was trying to help to get this baggage sorted out and put in other places. And he couldn't actually sit with us. He had to sit up the other end. But, you know, when you have a lot of baggage, it impacts other people, doesn't it? But what are you supposed to do? Complain about their baggage? Moan about it? Check it out the window? No, you're supposed to help one another, aren't you? You're supposed to help one another in love. There's a principle here. Um, unity is rooted in truth and it functions through God's love. Okay? Unity is rooted in truth and it functions through God's love. You know, in John 16, um, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. Okay? There must be a truth basis. And there are different elements of truth. Okay? There is the truth of the word of God, which is our basis, which we must be rooted and grounded in and understand it and how it works. But there's also the truth in our personal relationships with one another. We mustn't let those be on half-truths and rumors and, and, and speculations about people. We have to search out the truth in all of those things so that they do become our priority. You know, it is hard, isn't it, to be completely objective? But we should as much as possible. I've had people quite often come to me and say, oh, I just want to talk to you about, you know, that that person, you know, and I said, all oh, right, okay. They say, yeah, I just, I just, I said, let's give them a call, shall we? Or maybe we'll pop around the house and we'll talk it out with them. Oh, well, I'm not so sure about that then. Now, there might be a reason why, but actually, more often than not, it's that, you know, they want to talk to you about someone without that person being there. We've got to be wary, haven't we, of people like that. It's not good. And we can clear things up if we are truthful and open with people. You know, sometimes people say things about us. I had a situation in a, a small ministry once that I was very much involved in, and things were going well, Christian ministry, and then suddenly things began to get a little bit, you know, not frosty, but just a little, it stopped. You know, the blessing and the direction and the purpose began to stop. And then I realized that somebody was saying something I didn't like the way I was leading or doing it. So I just got the trustees and the other guys together. I said, come on, guys, what is it? And someone had to say, look, I'm sorry, yeah, I didn't like this. And so I spoke to that person and spoke to that. I said, well, okay, let's sort it out. You know, let's bring it out in the open and let's go through. And it cleared the air and we was able to go forward. Uh, because sometimes that can hinder the work of the Spirit of God in a church and amongst people if we allow that sort of disunity to happen. You know, our motivation should be entirely based on God's love and not selfish ambition or manipulation, which we can sometimes do as well. You know, what is our motivation? Is our motivation truth? and love. They are the two areas that we need to think of. You know, these kingdom values are humility, as it says here, gentleness, patience, and striving to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here's a psalm that some of you may have heard of, a psalm about unity, Psalm 133. It's part of the Song 
of ascents. So these are psalms that were used to go up to Jerusalem to pray and to worship. That was the purpose of these psalms, okay? It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, it's not just a nice picture, that. It is some real strong spiritual, scriptural principles in that psalm. You know, firstly, we've got Aaron, the high priest, okay? And what was his job as high priest? His job was to bring the people of God to a place of worship and acceptance through the sacrificial system, which is not necessary anymore because of Jesus, but in those days it was. And so that was his primary responsibility, to bring the people together in worship. Okay, so to see him doing that with the anointing oil upon him was a picture of true unity, of no barrier between God and man, but just that place of worship where the blessing of God, if the priesthood didn't work, the whole system, the whole nation didn't work. And do you know who the priests are today? It's you. We are the royal priesthood, that's right. So it's us functioning in that role with the anointing of God upon us. When we come together in worship, when we come together in work and all that we do as believers, we want to see that anointing upon it. And secondly, it speaks of the Jew on Mount Hermon. Now, in Israel, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain. It has snow a lot of the year. There's a ski resort up there. And uh, we saw it was in April. You can see all the snow on top of the mountain. And it's the, the, the wettest place, if you like. Now, what the, the psalmist is saying is he's saying unity, okay, it is like the Jew of Hermon, on the mountains of Zion. Now, they are the lower mountains, the desert mountains, okay? They do get a bit of rain in the winter, but they're drier, they're parched, they're brown. When we were there in April, there'd been a lot of rain up to that time, and so everything was green. I've never seen it before like that in all the times I've been before. And I said, wow, where's the desert gone? <laughs> Flowers and plants, everything. I said, well, wait a month and it'll all be dead. But, <laughs> but, but the illustration there... <laughs> And the illustration is coming into summer. The illustration there is that that sort of abundance of water and rain would be on all of the mountains. And so you see, what do you see? You see fruitfulness. Okay? The blessing of God, the unity brings fruitfulness. And we are designed as believers to abound in fruit. We should be fruitful. We should see the kingdom advance, and there should be fruit because of that. And we want to experience God's presence, don't we? We did this morning. We have on previous weeks, but we want more, yes. don't we? We want more of God's presence amongst us because that is what robs the kingdom of darkness and brings people into the kingdom of light if yes. God's presence is there. So we have to seek that unity as believers and not just be lip service, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. May God bless his word to you.